This morning's reading is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard, against, uh, guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. For the wonderful truth of that psalm, that you are our shepherd, that your goodness is with us, that you lead us home. Amen. Friends, do take a seat. Before we begin, let me just uh, welcome you again. If you're visiting, it's tremendous to see you. Uh, It's a slightly unusual day, but a a wonderful day. Uh, Let me just draw your attention to a couple of things. The first to say is next week is our church camp, so there won't be a service here next week. Please don't come here unless you like to be on your own. Uh, we meet at 9.30 at Woodend Campsite. It would be lovely to see you. You don't have to be registered to come for that. Uh, if you need transport, though, there's some sign-up sheets at the back. Please do sign up. Also, if you've got some great skill or talent, if you can eat, eat things and do magic and things, then there's a camp concert next Saturday. Please do uh, sign up for that. The other thing I just want to draw your attention to is this thing at the bottom of the news sheet that says THINK. And this is a a new ministry for those who work in the CBD uh, to get together uh, from time to time to reach out to our friends. Uh, There's a free lunch, so if you work in the CBD and like free lunches and evangelism, can I encourage you to to look at that uh, and to sign up? It's on the 17th of March. I think it's a Tuesday lunchtime. I think that's... uh, Sorry, the one final thing I want to say is we've sent a number of mailings this this week uh, on Wednesday particularly about the baptism... If you didn't receive the mailing, there there are two reasons for that, uh, two possible reasons for that. One is you're not on our list. If you're not on our list, please do fill in the tear-off slip so we can put you on our list. We'd love to be able to get in contact with you. Or possibly you did get it and your spam filter took it somewhere. If you you think you're on the list and it's gone to your spam, please check that out. It would be great to be able to get in touch with you if we needed to. With that said, uh, let me say a prayer and ask for God's help. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who speaks. And we pray now, speak to each one of us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Someone has said, worry is like a thief. It breaks in and steals our joy. It robs us of our peace of mind. Sometimes it robs us of our sanity. When we worry, we, we often can't think straight. And there are many ways this thief breaks in. Perhaps we think of our finances, and as we, as we do, the thief comes in through the window and our joy is gone. Perhaps we worry about our work. Am I doing a good enough job? Will I pass the next test? Maybe we think of our kids. Will they be able to keep going in this world? Will they be all right? As Asuka goes back to Japan, to a society that is very hostile to any form of religion, it would be natural to be worried in many ways. The thief longs to break in and steal your joy. The elephant in the room, of course, is the coronavirus. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm conscious of some who are inwardly groaning. Oh, come on. It's not such a big deal. But anxiety is like that, isn't it? Some are petrified of something that others think, frankly, is is foolish and childish. But it's undeniable that although most people seem not to to be worried, to say they're not worried, lots have started to change their behaviour. I'm not worried, 
but I have bought 50 more toilet rolls. <laughs> I'm not worried, but I, I have cancelled my trip overseas in August. And uh, I read yesterday in the press that uh, four in ten people in New Zealand are worried about coronavirus. Whether it's coronavirus or something else, for some, looking at uh, Philippians 4, to hear the Lord say to you this morning, do not be anxious, I am near, will be a word in season. For others, you are not any more worried than normal, and that's fine. But I hope this will be a word for your freezer, so to speak, because a time will come when the thief seeks to break in and steal your joy, and I hope that you have these words to hand, to use, to protect your joy. But it's not just about personal peace of mind. This topic is integral to our witness as a church. In Philippians 2, Paul says, the church, we are to shine like bright stars in a dark world. And in a society rocked by anxiety, the quiet confidence of Christians, not a, not a sort of denying reality confidence, but a facing up to reality, that the world is hard, but the Lord is near, is very, very striking. I read something about Christians during the plague in London in the 17th century. And during a, a catastrophic plague, many fled the city, including many ministers. But evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians, stayed in great numbers. And pastors and uh, congr congregations reached out and served the sick and the dying. And through that, many became Christians. It was very striking. Told a similar thing is happening in China at the moment as in the midst of fear and anxiety, the church, at cost to themselves, serves, continues to serve others. Be it a medical crisis or a financial crisis, the Christian who in the midst of a financial crisis is able to keep being generous is very striking. The Christian under pressure of a deadline, under pressure of a project needing to be completed, who's able to look out for others at the same time is remarkable. So this isn't just about personal peace. It's about our corporate witness to our Heavenly Father. Well, before we jump into the passage, it is just worth asking, what is anxiety? What is anxiety? And I think there are two elements to it. This is in some ways obviously simplistic, or simple, but hopefully not simplistic. The first is we worry when we're fearful that something good won't come to us. Maybe there's some good thing we want and we're frightened we might not get it. And so we worry. I want a promotion and I'm worried I might not get it. I want my kids to get into a certain school and it doesn't look like they will, so I'm worried. We worry we won't meet someone. We want to get married. There's something good and I desire it and I'm not sure if I'll get it, so I worry. And the flip side is there are certain things that we fear. Well, there's some evil, something we dread will happen and we worry about it. I'm frightened. I might not be able to pay my rent. I'm nervous about getting old and not being able to do all the things I used to do. I'm scared. Something might happen to a loved one. I'm frightened people might laugh at me and so I worry. And part of the problem with anxiety is there is obviously something good about that kind of feeling. We don't want bad things to happen to us or our loved ones. We do want good things to come to us. 
But the problem is when that desire, that preference, that right desire and preference becomes so strong that we begin to think, if that were to happen to me, it would be a catastrophe. My life would be ruined if I didn't get that good thing. And we forget God. We forget that he's good. We forget that he's in charge. We forget that he knows what is for our best. And we forget that sometimes what is for our best is not what we desire or fear. Well, God would say to us in those situations, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but bring your requests to me. I think the tone of this is really, really important. It's not a harsh command. It's not you faithless fool, just pull yourself together and stop worrying. It's not that kind of tone, is it? I think it's much more the tone of encouragement. Don't worry, because you don't need to be anxious. There's a better way. And this better way is grounded in who the Lord is. Look at verse 5. The Lord is near. And that's our first point this morning. We heard those kind of words in the baptism a few minutes ago, didn't we? And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. There's a sense you could sum the whole gospel story up through these words. I am near. I am with you. Do you remember in the beginning in the garden? Adam and Eve enjoyed great fellowship with God. He was near them. They walked with him. They saw him. And that's how all of us were created to live. And yet our sin drives God away. As Adam and Eve turned to their own way, they were forced out of the garden. And in a sense, the story from Genesis 4 onwards is the story of God coming near to his people. That climaxes, of course, in the Lord Jesus as he comes near comes into this world, comes to deal with our sin, deal with God's wrath for his anger that separates him from all that is evil. And the promises for all who accept him, I am with you to the very end of the age. I am near you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But when things go wrong, when things go wrong, we forget that, don't we? And the thief comes and steals our joy But it's not a smash-and-grab job, is it? He's a very clever thief, a very kind of suave and sophisticated thief, and he persuades us that what we see before our eyes, the chaos, is more real than these words, the Lord is near. So he doesn't snatch our joy, rather he gets us to hand it over as we begin to see the world and think this is all it is. The, The worries in our mind, they become concrete and perplexing, and suddenly we hand over our joy because we forget the Lord is near. Now remember, Paul and the Philippians were not immune to this. This church that Paul is writing to in in a place called Philippi, they had lots to worry about. There were divisions and arguments within. There was opposition from without. Paul himself, the author of this letter, is writing from a Roman prison cell. He's chained to a burly Roman uh, soldier and uh, constantly under the threat of death. All of his friends have abandoned him, and yet he knows the Lord is near. Some very, very moving words at the end of 2 Timothy. From the same prison, Paul describes everyone abandoning him. He says, Demas, one of his friends, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Alexander, the metal worker, did me great harm. At my defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. 
Aren't those marvellous words? It's not just a metaphor. The Lord really was there, standing at my side, genuinely giving me strength. And outwardly, everything is chaos. And the thief whispers, you should worry, give me your joy. But Paul knows, no, the Lord is near. And friends, remember, if you're a Christian, this is your Lord too. Take it in a gathering this size. There'll be some who wouldn't call themselves Christians. It's wonderful that you're with us. Perhaps you've come to hear what it is that Aska was doing this morning. But I wonder, will you find out who this Lord is? Just a couple of chapters back in this book of Philippians, there's a marvellous picture of the Lord Jesus in, in Philippians 2. I'd love you to read it, whether you're a believer or not. Go home and have a look at this. It's a picture of the one who from the beginning of time had all the power of the universe. And yet, though he was equal with God, he did not consider he needed to grasp the worship that was due him, but rather humbled himself, came to earth, came to die, because he loved us, because he longed to bring us near to him. And so, as Jesus dies, the way is open to God. This is our Lord. But he did not stay dead. God raised him from the grave and seated him in the heavens high above all rule and power and authority. And this, friends, is the Lord who is near. Though chaos may seem to reign, though we may think the Lord is impotent, that he is far away, not interested, no, he is near and he is powerful and he is our friend. And so Paul says the second thing, the second thing we need to see this morning When you're anxious, bring it to the Lord. When you're anxious, bring it to the Lord. Because the Lord is near, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Notice he doesn't just say, stop worrying. It's not very helpful to say that, is it? Just stop worrying. No, he says, take your worry and do something with it. Don't worry, just pray can be flippant, can't it? kind of thing you see in a bumper sticker, trivial. But this is not what Paul's saying. It's not a last-ditch, desperate act. It's not the final roll of the dice, so much as the constant, daily integration of the things we hope for, the things we desire, the things we fear, with the loving purposes of our God. And see what he says. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, Take it to God in prayer. It's, it's a total vision. Nothing's excluded. Some are worried about coronavirus, something that's frankly overblown. Some are worried about global warming. Others think that's a big hoax. Some are worried about what they eat. Others don't give it a moment's thought. For every worry, for every anxiety, there's someone scared and there's someone laughing, smirking. But do you see what this says? You don't need to be anxious. Whatever it is, bring it to me. And friends, isn't that wonderful? Nothing's off limits. Nothing's too trivial. Nothing's too big. Maybe there's something you wouldn't dare say to your closest friend because you're worried they'd laugh at you, think you're silly. Take it to the Lord who is near. But notice we're to do it with thanksgiving. And when we give thanks, it helps us remember who God is. He is the good Father who loves to give good gifts to us. And so we say thank you. And as we give thanks, it helps us remember who we are. 
We aren't God. Rather, we are the recipients of his mercy. We're just creatures. We just receive all from him. I read an article this week about uh, the psychology of um, stockpiling toilet paper. Sounds a bit silly, doesn't it? Uh, But um, a psychologist was saying, why why is it? I mean, toilet paper actually isn't going to help you very much. And uh, so why is it people are fighting in Australia over rolls of loo roll? And this psychologist was saying, well, the thing about something like that is is in a a time when it feels like life is out of control, if you can just manage one thing, life suddenly feels better. If I just make sure I've got 2,000 toilet rolls, then life will be okay. But you see, Thanksgiving is actually the opposite of that. When we give thanks, we say to God, I'm not in control, and I know it, but you are. I'm just a creature, but you're the creator God. And it puts things in perspective. We humble ourselves. And just think how that changes our prayers. Because the danger is, if we don't have this humble attitude, what we do is we give God a shopping list. We tell God what he needs to do. Maybe we're worried about our kids, and we want them to believe the gospel. We long that they'd believe before they left school. And so we pray, Lord, please make my kids Christians before they leave school and keep them away from the bad guys at school. Now, that's a fine thing to pray. But there's a sense of, I know, God, what I need. But how different is is it when we say, Lord, I long for my kids to trust the gospel wholeheartedly. I pray, please, that they would believe before they leave school. I pray that you would keep them safe from from the guys at school who who, who ruin their morals. But Father, I thank you that you love them far more than I do, as incomprehensible as that is. And I thank you that you know what they need far better than I do. So as difficult as it is for me, I leave them in your hands and I thank you that I can do that. And it transforms the prayer. Thanksgiving helps us to remember that it's the Lord Jesus who is near, not Aladdin's genie in the bottle, granting us three wishes. And the wonderful thing is, but the scary thing is, that Jesus knows better. Jesus knows better what we need than we do ourselves. It's wonderful, but it's scary because it means sometimes the answer is no. But even if the worst were to come, He is still our brother. God is still our father. They are near to us. And you see what we do, friends, as we pray. We align ourselves with reality. I've got a little app on my watch. And from time to time it beeps at me and says I need to breathe and take seven deep breaths. And I I think it's monitoring my heart rate. And to be honest, whenever it beeps, it stresses me out. But you can imagine the designers thought, look, if we just get people to relax, well, stress will evaporate. And you can imagine an atheist looking at people praying and thinking, do you know what, if you have a kind of internal monologue about your problems, well, you put them in perspective and life won't be so bad. And that's what prayer looks like to an unbeliever, isn't it? We're just calming our hearts. We're just sort of talking to ourselves. But that is absolutely not what we are doing We're not denying reality. Rather, we're facing up to reality that this world is scary and complicated, but this world is not all that we can see with our eyes. There is a God who rules, and so we roll roll 
our fears and desires and hopes onto him. It's not an excuse for not taking appropriate action. It's not denying the world isn't scary. Rather, it's facing up to reality. For the Lord is near. So when you're anxious, bring it to the Lord. And then third and finally, God promises his peace will guard us in Christ. God promises his peace will guard us in Christ. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. When we bring our prayers and petitions to God, he does something very precious. He surrounds us with his peace. That is to say, his, his shalom, his, his care, his wholeness. A peace that transcends our understanding. This is the kind of verse, isn't it, that we can imagine on a, on a Christian calendar, a Christian postcard. And you see verse 7, surrounded by nice flowers or some pretty scene of lambs jumping around. And there's something good about that. It's not a bad thing. But we mustn't domesticate this. Do you see the image? It's a military image. God will guard our hearts and minds. He will garrison troops around our hearts and minds. It isn't that we just sort of have a quick pray and then our worries evaporate and tranquility magically descends upon us. It's nothing like that. Monday morning, I was sitting in my chair and I was doing, I thought I was doing my quiet time, reading my Bible and praying. I realised after about half an hour that I'd been sat there worrying. I'm not going to tell you what I was worrying about because frankly it's pretty pathetic. You'll just laugh at me. But I'd sat there and I'd worried and eventually I realised I was worrying and I read these verses and I prayed, I gave thanks, I left them to the Lord and after a while I sensed actually I don't need to worry about this, I can have peace. But why not through the day? As I lay down on my bed that night, the worry was back. The, the, the thief had come again. And so I prayed. And I said, Lord, this time I added, I'm sorry that I've forgotten the very thing I learned this morning. Help me to trust. And I prayed and I committed myself again. And friends, you see, it's a fight for the tranquility of our heart. But God does promise to guard us. It's not easy. It's not instant. But it is a promise and see what he guards. It's not a promise to change the problems, is it? It's not guaranteeing your kids the position in school you want. It's not guaranteeing freedom from coronavirus. It's not guaranteeing those kind of things, but it is guaranteeing in the midst of chaos, there can be peace. And notice he guards our hearts. In the Bible, hearts aren't what we think of them in normal Western society. It's not our emotions. So much as our desire, our, our wills, and remember in the beginning I said part of the reason worry comes is when we desire some good thing too much and we think, if I don't get it, it, my life will be ruined. Or we fear something too much and we think if it happens, my life will be ruined. But the gospel says the most catastrophic thing will never happen to the Christian. No Christian will ever be separated from God. No Christian will ever be condemned to hell. And even if the worst thing that I can imagine happened to me, even if my life is snatched from me, I will be ushered into his presence. It guards my heart. And likewise, with good things, I may miss out on some good things, but every blessing is stored up for me in Christ and it cannot be snatched from me. It guards our hearts. But it also guards our minds. And our minds are terrible things. They play tricks on us, don't they? I remember as about a 10-year-old, 
I was on my bike at the top of a hill, and all my friends had gone down ahead of me. And I got on my bike, and uh, off I whizzed. And the next thing I knew, I, I was on the floor. And in front of me was this old banger that had been parked up. And I, I, I looked at the bumper of this old banger, and I, I put a dent in it. At least I think I'd put a dent in it. It was an old banger. Who knows who did it? Oh, you don't know what an old banger is? Oh, thank you. That's quite important for the... An old banger is... Thank you very much. An old banger is a bust-up old car. What would you say? A car. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse, for your helpful insight. I'd, I'd, go, I'd gone whizzing down... Thank you very much. Um, I'd gone whizzing down this hill, and I crashed into this busted-up old car. And there was a bump in, in the bumper. And I, I don't know if I'd done it, but I assumed I probably did. And I looked around, and there was nowhere, no one to be seen. So I got back on my bike, and I went down the rest of the hill and went home. And do you know what happened for the next nine months? Every time I heard a siren. <laughs> you, 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 I mean, I'm laughing, but I'm, for nine months, I lived in fear. Every time I heard a siren, I thought they'd come for me. Every time I heard someone talking about the police, I thought they were whispering about me. Isn't that crazy? Now, that's a nine-year-old kid, but don't our minds do that? Of course the police have got better things to do than come and... But it gets you. And this promises to guard our hearts. Not that we're magically taken, but we can put things in perspective. And I take it that that means sometimes we go back in prayer, Lord, help me again. I give it to you again. Thank you again. Please help me. And we keep on fighting and fighting till we get the peace he promises. Now, that doesn't, that's not to say it's easy. There'll be some here for whom it's a huge struggle. There'll be some here, perhaps, who need medication, who need and have benefited from professional help. But do you see, though we may need more than this, we don't need less than this. Because if you try and deal with anxiety without the Lord, you find that you're actually denying reality. My kids went to the uh, fire station a few months ago. And they had a great time, but they came back frightened the house was going to burn down. Now, I looked on the government's thing about anxiety, and they talk about shrinking your fears, getting a big fear and making it small, putting it in perspective. And that is surely a good thing to do. But the problem is, although I do say to my kids, the house is not going to burn down, even at six and four, they're, they're, they're clever enough to know that I can't promise that. Otherwise, why would we have a fire station? And so what I need them to understand, what I need to understand is that even if my house burns down, God is still near. He is still working for my good. I can lay on my pillow and sleep at night, not because the probability of fire is small and I shrink my fear, not because the probability of catching coronavirus is is small and I shrink it down, not because the chance of an earthquake is small, No, I can lie on my bed and sleep well at night because God is near and he rules the world. The reason I can keep serving when everyone else is panicking, the reason the church can be calm when the world is at sea is because the Lord rules. And we see that, don't we, in verse 7. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In him, in Jesus, I'm safe. Someone has said, it takes the same energy to worry as to pray. One leads to peace. One leads to panic. Friends, may the Lord help us to choose wisely. May we choose prayer and peace and not panic. 
May the Lord help us to know he is near. Let's take a moment and then I'll pray. Father, we pray that whatever state of mind we came with, whether we're anxious as we look out at the world, or whether actually we're not, we pray that you would convict us deep in the depths of our hearts that you are near, that whatever happens to us, you are near. And so, Father, teach us, please, when anxiety comes, when fear comes, to roll it to you, that we might seek you and commit ourselves to you with prayer and thanksgiving and then know your peace, peace that we might live without the worry of the theft of our joy, but peace that we might keep serving and living as people who shine as bright lights in the midst of this crooked and wicked generation. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.